the great thing is that we're talking about 20% solar in 2030, and that's only 11 years to go, but there's still so much solar generation. Hello and welcome to the Solar Maverick Podcast, where solar meets entrepreneurship and experience. I'm your host, Benoit Thanjan. And I'm your co-host, Lee Wang. Let's get into it. Hi, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick Podcast. I'm excited to have my co-host, Lee Wang. He's the director of marketing and also the founder of MJ Wang Media. And he also is my publicist, the future Maverick Carter. That's right. <laughs> if you know who Maverick Carter is, he's part of the business team with LeBron James and has really taken LeBron's outside business interest and his obviously personal business interest to another level. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Maverick is one of LeBron's key players in his whole business empire that he's building. And Benoit and I are not only sports fans, but we're entrepreneurs and we really love sports figures who are also entrepreneurs. So it's a perfect combination. We really admire what LeBron's been able to do to leverage his own brand. And obviously we think his move to the Lakers in LA was part of his bigger plan. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Yeah, maybe in another podcast yeah. like about his different investments. He's also invested in sports teams. He's obviously has his own sort of production company. Then they're working on uh, Space Jam 2 that he's actually going to be in the movie in as well. But that could be another podcast <laughs> itself. So today is a beautiful day in Jersey City. We're kind of enjoying late summer turning into fall weather. It's hot out. We're enjoying some bubble teas. Uh, it's one thing, Benoit and I have a ritual. I don't usually drink bubble tea, but when Benoit and I get together, we go to a little place in our town. For those who don't know, I don't even know how to describe bubble tea. I guess it's, where does it stem from? Taiwan or something like I that? Think, yeah, Taiwan, China initially. Yeah, so it's a flavored tea drink. I get the milk version and it comes from, for some tapioca bubbles. I think it's popular with teenage girls, but we're down with it. I think it's popular too with Asians and I think bubble tea is just growing pretty quickly in the U.S. Either way, we're we're loving our bubble tea today, sunny day. And Benoit, you have some exciting news here. I think that your profile got raised for an upcoming conference. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, definitely. So if you listen to our last podcast that came out, I interviewed Tiffany Pham from Mogul. They're having their big conference this Saturday. It's called the Mogul X Conference in New York, where there's going to be 1,500 people who are part of the Mogul platform. And I'm actually the dean and one of the MCs for the event on this Saturday. So that's something new that we didn't talk about before. It's one of the keynote sort of speakers is Susie Orman. They have different sort of tracks where people are learning from top CEOs and it should be a great event. I'm really looking forward to it and it's coming up. Uh, this so Benora, for anyone who may have missed the episode, last episode, what tell us a little bit about what Mogul is. Sure. Mogul is actually a platform that basically helps with productivity. They create customized software that basically helping women candidates find job opportunities at Fortune 100 companies. So basically, Mogul X is the conference. The platform is called Mogul. You could go online and see it. They also have an app. It's a modern growth experience designed to help you reach your goals and realize your full potential. If you haven't checked out the app, it's actually pretty helpful. I actually use the app as well. I'm also actually an investor as well in Mogul. Tiffany and I have known each other for now like six or seven years. And then this Mogul X conference is basically a schedule of transformative classes, immersive experiences, 
as well as networking job opportunities. And then they basically, Mogul X, the conference, they break it up into five tracks, work, finance, relationships, travel, health, and wellness. Each class is taught by a world-class CEO, top executive and celebrity. Susie Orman is probably the most famous person, and she's teaching two of the finance classes. She's also an investor and mogul as well. So it should be a great event this coming Saturday in New York. So, Benoit, do you think all this time you put into podcasting and us being in conferences elevated you to this new status as one of the MCs? How did they elevate you there? Yeah, so I interviewed Tiffany at the end of August for a podcast episode. She's actually episode 45, which is a great episode. She's actually our first non-solar person that we've interviewed on the podcast. Again, she's a CEO and founder of Mogul. And so she talks about her life experiences and she also gives tips for productivity. I think after the interview with Tiffany, she was pretty impressed with the interview. She wanted to have me more involved in the conference. Then I think there was an opportunity for this MC slash Dean role to come up and then that just happened a few days ago. So I'm not fully aware of what exactly I'll be doing, but definitely like the podcast has definitely helped as far as getting speaking opportunities and obviously business as well. We've been inundated with how many people are listeners. Thank you for reaching out to us. And it's been amazing to kind of see how it has had a positive impact and people suggesting guests or potential business opportunities from hearing the podcast. I apologize that it takes us some time to get back to everyone because we've been overloaded with how many people reach out to us and our audience keeps growing each week and we get more and more people reaching out. But no, I know I'm going to uh, throw you a little curveball here, but you're talking about public speaking in an article we're going to be talking about where Warren Buffett talks about how he overcame his fear of public speaking, which elevated his success acceleration. Had you always been comfortable speaking in public or is this something that you had to work on? It's definitely something that I've worked on to get better and I'm getting better as time goes on. I still feel like I I have a lot to work on. I also was a member, and I think I mentioned this on a previous podcast with Lee, I was a member of Toastmasters when I worked at a company, and that's a great way of improving public speaking. I also held many like officer sort of positions and roles in school and I try to speak whenever there's an opportunity. And I feel like the more repetitions, Lee and I talk about this even with the podcast, the more comfortable that you get. So it definitely takes time and practice. All right, great. So also on your agenda, you'll be heading to the West Coast. Talk a little bit about the Solar Power International Conference. Next week is the Solar Power International Conference. If you don't know, it's the largest solar conference in the U.S. Over 20,000 people attend. It's actually in Salt Lake City from September 23rd to 26th. I actually spoke at the conference last year, and it's amazing. It's a week before the conference, and literally my calendar is completely packed with meetings and events from when I'm going to be there. Then we have an office out in San Diego, so I'll be there for a little bit with meetings in Southern California. And then after that, I'm actually, and we spoke about this in another podcast, I'll also be speaking at the 2019 Deloitte Renewable Energy Seminar happening October 2nd and 4th in Dallas, Texas. I'm on a panel speaking about the impact of renewable energy on the future of real estate And the two other panelists are Lisa Brown from Johnson Controls. She's the National Senior Director of Strategy, Local Government, and Municipal Infrastructure. And Susan Nicky from Hannon Armstrong, and she's a managing director in there. So I'll be actually traveling for the next three weeks and looking forward to it. I'm sure I'll have a lot of great insights. That's great. Have you prepped a lot for this conference and being able to speak about the future 
the impact of renewable energy on the future of real estate? Is that something that you've been prepping for? Can you give our listeners a little preview of what you're going to be talking about? Me specifically, I'm going to be talking about how the future of real estate has renewable energy in it, specifically solar and then storage when it becomes more economical. The other thing, too, I'll be talking about is opportunity zones. A lot of real estate developers are developing projects in opportunity zones and they want to bundle solar. If you don't know much about opportunity zones, basically if you invest in an opportunity zone project and if the money's there for 10 years, you don't have to pay a capital gains tax. So it's a huge opportunity that everyone's looking into. Actually, our projects with the New York Housing Authority that we're developing Part of them are in opportunity zones. So I will be talking about that project because it's pretty innovative. It's a community solar project. And then we're training a low income. We're training NYCHA residents to install solar. So there's a community engagement piece. And then we're providing discounted energy to low income. We had an intro call to talk about the concepts we're going to focus on. And I'm trying to get it where we would release that panel onto our podcast. I'm still working on that. Yeah, you got a jam-packed travel schedule. And on October 10th, you we decided you're going to attend a pretty cool conference. It's called Influencer. It's hosted by Brendan Bouchard. And this is going to, sounds like pretty huge. Benoit, tell our listeners here why you decided to attend this inaugural Influencer 2019 event. And this is in... Um, San Diego too? It's in San Diego as well. Thank you, Lee, for helping me as far as like trying to figure out where to go to this conference. But I don't know how many people know what an influencer is, but basically an influencer makes a living as a thought leader online. Brendan Bruchard, I'm actually reading one of his books, his main book, High Productivity Habits. I'm probably saying the name of it wrong. And then he's got amazing speakers coming to the event. Tom Bilyeu from Impact Theory, which is one of my favorite podcasts. Lewis Howes, who actually I met at the podcast movement conference. Dean Graziano as well. I've read his books. So it's going to be amazing. I mean, influencers basically figuring out, providing value and then monetizing it online. It's been interesting for me because doing the podcast, definitely people have gravitated towards like my different opinions on the industry. And I believe like in the future, there's definitely opportunity for me to be an influencer in solar and renewable energy. So I think it's going to be a great sort of learning experience. Yeah, it's it's incredible. I think one of the key factors in our decision to have Benoit attend this conference is for relatively low cost, I think the ticket here is just under $400. I think they're still on sale if this is something you might be interested in attending. For less than $400, you get a jam-packed slate of top-notch speakers. And with the advent of social media and all these available podcasting, all these formats, when I started in media, the only way people that had any reach were people that owned printing presses, right? Pretty much, or owned media, owned TV stations. Now You, you sound self- like a dinosaur. <laughs> yeah, no, I am. I'm 46, so I've been through many eras already. But nowadays, there's a lot of ways to break through. And being an influencer sounds kind of like a lofty term and a little... It's misused sometimes. There are people who truly influence people's decisions. They get paid to just talk about brands they believe in. But we think that by going to this conference can quickly absorb a lot of different 
areas of expertise in a concentrated time period. So really glad you're hitting this conference up. I think another great guest there is going to be Rachel Hollis. She's an author. She has a New York Times bestselling author. Two of her books are called Girl, Wash Your Face and Girl, Stop Apologizing. And she's a pretty big brand name nowadays. So I think this is just a huge conference to attend if you haven't even considered it. So you can check them out. It's called Influencer. Be sure to say hi to Benoit if you're there too. <laughs> he looks just like he does on the podcast art. You'll see the shirt. Yeah. Lee created the shirt with the picture of the podcast yeah, art. Yeah, we actually just ordered a long sleeve t-shirt. Actually, a little shout out to RushOrderTees.com. <laughs> they didn't pay us to say that, but we just had a great experience. So if you want a custom shirt and you need it quick and you don't want to have a minimum order, RushOrderTees.com. They just had a great customer service. They just helped us get the side of the long sleeve shirt printed and the customer service rep was amazing. And just to show you, customer service is everything. That's one thing that Benoit works hard on for his own company and so do I. That's going to really differentiate you from other people. Bad customer service is just terrible. Yeah, it's interesting. Chick-fil-A, which I'm a huge fan of if people know me, they've done a study that because the people who work at Chick-fil-A say please and thank you, that overall revenue is 15% higher than if they didn't say please or thank you, which is crazy. Like You would think that's something basic in customer service, but it's not. I'm embarrassed to say how many Chick-fil-A's I've been to, and the consistency of the customer service is incredible. People have their thoughts about the owner's religious beliefs and so forth, but let's not talk about this on this show. I don't know, I'll speak for Benoit here, but we're firm believers that if you if you own a brand, you have a right to express how you want to carry that culture. But anyway, I'm going too deep. Uh, the chicken's really good. Let's just say that. And actually, one of the books that I love, and I know we drop a lot of knowledge on books, is Tony Shea, the owner of Zappos. His book is called Delivering Happiness. And it's been out a few years now. But it's his story of how he built Zappos, shoe online shoe seller. And he actually built his entire company on best customer service possible. And it wasn't even about the shoes. He actually only, I think he only owns four pairs of shoes and he doesn't really like shoes, but he felt that he could make a big difference through customer service. And I'm sure many of you have ordered from Zappos and it's amazing. One story he tells is one time they're headquartered in Vegas. He was at a conference with some of his colleagues and he had them test his customer service and one of the guys at the conference with him ordered, uh, got on the Zappos and, and tried to get the Zappos customer rep to order them pizza, and he actually did it. So it was a test of customer service. I know we're segueing a little yeah. bit off topic, but it's an important thing for any business person. This episode of the Solar Maverick Podcast is brought to you by Podcast Laundry, the podcast concierge service that I use to make sure that my listeners hear the best quality show. They do the dirty work of podcasting for me. Yes, graphics, quotes, show notes, master editing, and much more. All I have to do is record. So if you're a busy podcaster like me with an engaged audience and want to free up time to do more of what you love to do, like going to the gym or spending time with loved ones, go to podcastlaundry.com to schedule your consultation or call 347 8273. That's podcastlaundry.com or 347-871-8273. Thank you. The part of the reason too with the influencer conferences, and I know we've mentioned it multiple times, and I know Lee's mentioned it, but personal branding is so huge. So we have the podcast, and it's just amazing how many people recognize my voice from the podcast, or they recognize me from the podcast art. Now we're seeing people want to move to video, 
which is huge. So we actually created a YouTube channel. I know I mentioned this on prior podcasts. I was on the roof of the NYCHA building. I created a minute video on my iPhone and I put it on LinkedIn. But it was amazing. We got 3,000 views from it, 55 likes, 25 comments that there were leads from it. Also speaking engagement at a conference. So it's really about building your personal brand. People want to see the company that they're working with. They want to get to know you. And it's a way scalable of reaching out to your audience, and video is the next progression. Yeah, well, I mean, one huge important point from all of this is the idea that if you try to please everyone, you won't please anyone. So you want to be yourself. Those who be drawn to you will flock to you, and those who don't like what you're saying may just not be the kind of people you want to work with anyway. So it's best to be yourself and be authentic. Authenticity is a little overused, but it works and it's true. So we try our best here to showcase that. Yeah, definitely. And then another point too with the influencer conference is that it's all about investing in yourself. Leah and I have this conversation all the time. I always tell them the highest return that I would get on any investment, not the investments outside that I receive passive income streams, it's from investment in myself or in my company. So there's this quote by Warren Buffett that I've been thinking about a long time, but a lot recently, especially when I was trying to decide to do this influencer conference. Ultimately, there's one investment that supersedes all others. Invest in yourself. No one can take away what you've got in yourself, and everyone has the potential that they haven't used yet. And it's interesting because Warren Buffett, and this kind of goes back to the original point, Dale Carnegie classes, and he felt that $100 class when he was at 19 years old changed his life. It got him comfortable with public speaking. He also had the confidence actually to ask his then uh, girlfriend to be his wife from the course. So I think he doesn't actually have his college degrees on the wall. He has that Dale Carnegie course. And if you've listened to the podcast before, you've heard Lee and I talk about the book How to Stop Worrying, Start Living by Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. That was a book that my dad introduced me to when I was 17. Actually, what was really interesting, Lee, our episode with Tiffany Fan, Fam, sorry, the CEO and founder of Mogul, she said that she started listening to Dale Carnegie tapes when she was 12, and that had the biggest impact on her life. So it's interesting. If you haven't checked it out, you definitely, it's a must read. We're always now coming up with recommendations for the Solar Maverick podcast, but definitely it's something that you should look into. I put off reading How to Win Friends and Influence People for a while because I actually thought the title of the book, now that I've read it, is a bit misleading because it's really about how you act as an individual and controlling your own emotions and what you say and how you react to situations. Please, if you haven't read the book or, or the one Benoit mentioned. How to Stop Worrying and Start Living, that yeah. to me actually had a bigger impact yeah. because that's really how you manage stress, live in the present moment, and talks about gratitude so that you're more of a positive thinker. Yeah. I'm giving you like the high-level Cliff Notes version of it. So we've talked a lot about what Benoit's up to. Let's dive right into some solar energy news. U.S. utility solar pipeline soars to 37.9 gigawatts, a new record. Benoit, what's going on with this? That's huge for the solar industry. That obviously tells you not all these projects in this pipeline are going to get developed, but it shows you that people are confident in what's happening in the solar industry 
37.9 gigawatts is the highest in history of utility-scale solar projects. That follows a record high procurement of 15 gigawatts in 2018. So that's more than double. It's more than double. Then more than six gigawatts of solar capacity were added to the five-year forecast since last quarter. So that's huge, I mean, as far as growth that we're seeing in the industry. A utility solar project announced and surged to 11.2 gigawatts in the first half of 2019, with 6.2 gigawatts contracted in Q2 alone. So Abby Ross Hopper, who's basically the head of the Solar Energy Industries Association, SIA, says it's no surprise that the U.S. solar pipeline is surging as costs continue to fall and solar becomes the lowest cost option for utility corporations and family. However, we pushed for solar to represent 20% of U.S. solar generation by 2030. Smart policies like an extension of the solar investment tax credit will be critical to reach this goal. We've talked about the 30% investment tax credit before and how it's stepping down. This is also happening, too, with a president who's not pro-solar, who's put tariffs on solar, he's put tariffs on inverters, he's put tariffs on uh, raw materials, but still the outlook in the industry is pretty high. So it's pretty exciting in the U.S. solar market, and there's a lot of development to be had, and it's still early in the process. So anyone who's already listening right now is ahead of the game because you guys are getting informed, getting really ready for this tremendous growth. But Noah, what advice do you have for our young mavericks out there? You've been in this career not long enough. Is there any particular role in the industry that you think is more of a growth potential now? And what kind of simple advice would you give them? Yeah, so it's amazing. Like I've been in the industry for 10 years and you're considered a veteran of solar for 10 years because there really is not many people who have 20, 30, 40 years of experience. We had a live podcast event, How Solar Technology is Changing the World. And Steve Schwerd for Schwerd Consulting mentioned that we're dinosaurs in the industry and there's still, the next 10 years, the growth is going to be a lot more exponential than we're currently seeing, especially when solar reaches grid parity. That means that it's not dependent on government incentives to compete, which I believe is not that far away, especially with energy storage becoming more economical, specifically lithium-ion technology. And we talked about this in the podcast called 2019 Energy Storage Trends. But really, just get involved in the industry. Like We think all parts of the industry are going to grow. Installation, engineering, permitting, interconnection. I think the real value that we're seeing from a career perspective is like a project developer. So someone who could basically find utility scale or commercial industrial solar opportunities and basically move it through the process. The sales cycle and the time that it takes to develop these projects take a very long time. So it takes one to three years or one to four years. What we're seeing is a lot of international companies trying to get in. So you need also as well people who are in the lobbying effort for solar who need to know policy. The great thing is that we're talking about 20% solar in 2030. And that's only 11 years to go, but there's still so much solar generation. So this is a trend that's going to be for a very long time, for 30, 40, 50 years. I think the big thing is really to find a great company to learn from and to add value. Obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, we add a lot of valuable insights into the industry. There are other podcasts, there are websites, there's events. So that's kind of my long-winded response to your question. 
Well, that's what we do. Podcast, long form, long winded. <laughs> we try to pare it down. Speaking of last time, we had a lot to cover. We did a complete <laughs> yes. episode on financing. So we just like to take a little bit of time to go a little deeper on financing. You talk about bank financing and third party solar financing. Benoit, you want to kind of dive into this part two on financing? Yeah, definitely. We had a podcast episode with Lee where we called it, I think, Solar Financing 101, which is going to come out next week which is the third or fourth week of September. What we wanted to focus on is a specific aspect of it, is basically the power purchase agreement, which has helped a lot of development of solar in the U.S., which has led to that big pipeline that you're seeing. So basically, third-party solar financing allows more Americans to go solar by lowering their cost of solar installation, maintenance of the system. You could do, obviously, cash or bank financing, but typically for third-party financing, people usually do a PPA or lease. Basically, a PPA is a power purchase agreement. Then there's two solar leases, which is a capital lease and operating lease. Basically, a capital lease is a lease where the person borrowing the money is also taking the tax incentives related to solar. We talked about the 30% investment tax credit. There's also accelerated five-year maker's depreciation, which represents about 20 to 30% of the project cost. So basically 50% of the cost of the project or 50 to 60 is basically from federal tax incentives. That doesn't include state-level incentives if there is. So operating leases where the lender is actually taking the tax incentives because a lot of people can't actually take advantage of that incentive. So that's why they have this operating lease structure. And basically the lease goes till the tax attributes are taken because there's a tax recapture, which makes it extremely difficult to sell basically the project. So usually the operating lease lasts for six to seven years. And then basically the lender takes all the tax incentives then they sell it at some sort of fair market value by a third-party appraiser, or they sell it at 15 to 20% of the original EPC costs. A capital lease is where it's on balance sheet financing, where they're taking the tax incentives. Then usually the lease period's between maybe eight to 10 years, and then at the end of the lease agreement, it's sold for a dollar. Usually these types of projects that we're talking about is commercial, industrial. For residential projects, you have a lease but it's like an operating lease, but it's over a 20-year period. And then you have a, like a power purchase agreement. But here we're actually going to go into more like what a power purchase agreement is. It's a long-term contracted agreement that lasts 20 years, sometimes 15 years. And you're basically offered a discounted rate, meaning the building owner is offered a discounted rate for their solar. Usually it's between 10 to 20% if it's a big state-level incentive then it might be more than that. Sometimes they include some sort of roof restoration or repair because solar is a long-level asset that lasts 20 to 30 years, and you want a roof as well because it would be too costly within, let's say, your 10 to 15 to have to fix the roof and then take off the panels and then re-put the panels there. They also usually add an accelerator to the PPA price. It used to be 2 or 3%, but that's not common anymore because what we've seen is historically, I would say the past eight to 10 years, electricity prices haven't really risen. And why that's happened is because natural gas is abundant and that's basically dictating electricity prices. So what's ended up happening in some of these PPAs is where they would be out of the money, if that makes sense, yeah. where basically they thought they were going to have some sort of discount 
But then over time, with the inflation factor of between 1% to 3%, they're actually paying more for their solar energy than they would if they bought it directly from the grid. So now it's actually more challenging to get these escalators. People prefer 0%, or we've seen some sort of price floor, and then like basically a percentage of their current rate that'll be discounted, and then it can't go below a certain floor. And the power purchase agreement's really important, because you're able to finance solar projects from these long-term, basically, cash flow streams. Right. Is this something that your company really helps a lot of clients with, navigating these waters and figuring it out? Yeah, definitely. It's extremely like complicated. We help with explaining them how a power purchase agreement is structured. We've also bring the financing that provides the PPAs as well. I can't even count how many power purchase agreements I've read and then I've provided like business points to them because of that. Usually, as I mentioned, at the end of the PPA contract term, which is usually 15 to 20 years, the customer has an option to extend the power purchase agreement or they could have like the developer remove the system or they could buy the solar system from the developer. And then usually in the power purchase agreement, there's like purchase options to purchase the system at any point of time. The most expensive actually to buy the system is from year one to seven because you still have like the tax attributes. And I mentioned like basically the investment tax credit and the accelerated depreciation are making 50 to 60% of the value of the project. So if the investor is not getting that, they're adding that value to it and also the complexity of changing the ownership. Usually what's very important for these on-site PPAs, because we're talking about a situation where it's on a commercial industrial building owner's property, it's on the roof, it could be a carported system, a ground-mounted system. So it's on-site. Basically the investor or the PPA or the power purchase agreement investor is paying for the construction of the system. Any issues that come up, they do also the operations and maintenance and they basically provide the building owner with discounted electricity from that. So what are the type of risks involved with engaging with a PPA? There could be an opportunity where it actually costs more over time depending on the inflation factor. Of the cost of the system. Right now, solar is not an experimental technology. So I think the biggest risk is really that or the PPA investor making sure that they're doing their job as far as like the OM and they're incentivized because obviously the more production the system has, the more energy you're using from that solar system, the more money they're using. So I think the biggest thing for the building owners who's using this third-party financing is like the energy risk. But as I mentioned before, there's some ways that they could potentially hedge it. Yeah, well, we just covered a lot there, and we could probably save more for a future episode. There's so much to cover with financing. Any ending notes for this episode, Benoit? Sia, who we mentioned before, actually has PPA, basically a standard PPA that people could use, because one of the things with the power purchase agreement is the legal cost are very high to have the building owners legal looking through the PPA contract. So usually from a PPA financing perspective, to make sense from all the legal costs, it has to be 500 kilowatts or below. We do know some investors that are doing below 500 kilowatts. It's interesting because we're seeing some solar installers who are doing below 500 and they're acting as the financing because they have a tax equity appetite they want to take advantage of. The other thing, too, is off-site PPAs, which is another viable option and is really helping with the growth of solar. 
and it's a virtual sort of transaction. It's an electronic power price hedge, and you're basically paying for that power from solar project in that utility service area. And then you're basically helping financing these solar projects through this offsite PPA, which has led to a lot of development of solar. I've written articles actually about this in PV Magazine and Renewable Energy World. We'll have also the links to that in the notes and also that this templated PPA that I mentioned as well. So in your opinion, would you think it's sort of the golden age of getting financing for solar projects at the moment? I think every year is a golden age, but I'm biased biased towards it. That's another question we get. Everyone's like, why should I do solar now? Yeah. Because like the technology right. keeps getting better, the cost keeps going down. I mean, it seems like the things you're describing, it's any investment involves risk, but combined with the federal incentives and the terms I'm looking at here, it seems like accessibility to financing is pretty good for those who do want to get involved with solar. Definitely. In the past, I would say even three or four years ago, there was a lot of good projects, not enough financing. Now there's so much financing and not a lot of good projects. Other major risk factor too is you have to find an investor that has a great reputation that's been around a long time. These power purchase agreements are 15 to 20 years. Also, even though the quality of the installation is up to an investor, you still maybe should kind of understand that process. The other thing too is that the solar system actually increases the value of the building. So there's property taxes as well that could go higher. So you have to make sure that PPA investor is actually paying for that because they're the one who's actually owning the system. Usually there's like some sort of period where there's like sort of, you don't have to pay it, usually like 15 years, but that could be a risk as well. And it's really finding the right partners. There's a lot of people out there who say they could do stuff, but then when you kind of move further in the process. Yeah, and we don't do a lot of plugging of our own brand, but keep in mind, this is all stuff that Renew Energy can help you out with and making sense of. So please reach out to us at info at renewenergy.com, R-E-N-E-U, energy.com. We act as a developer of commercial industrial and utility scale. We also act as an independent consultant where we help do like financial and technical feasibility. One thing that when we talk to building owners, I was actually at a commercial industrial building conference last week in Jersey City, and it was surprising to me like a lot of things that we walk them through, a lot of other solar companies are not walking them through. They're obviously doing it to be able to close the sale, but really the customer should be very informed before they make this sort of decision. Wow. So we've covered a lot on this episode. Again, we're welcoming all the listeners here. Give us a shout. Give us a question. We're actually going to do a future episode all on our listeners' questions, so it'll be kind of a rapid-fire episode there. So we look forward to hearing from you. Yes, thank you. We appreciate your support, your feedback, and thank you for listening. Have a great day. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Solar Maverick Podcast. The Solar Maverick Podcast is brought to you by Renew Energy. We're a solar development and consulting firm. If you believe that this podcast is adding value to you, please give us a five-star review and share with those that you think could benefit from this information. Please email all questions, suggestions, and feedback to info at renewenergy.com. That's I-N-F-O at reneuenergy.com. The Solar Maverick Podcast is produced by Podcast Laundry and executive produced by Benoit Thangen and Kevin Y. Brown.